please open your Bibles to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. Now, a, a, as we gather together each week, there, there's a sense in which it's, it's remarkably ordinary. We're, we're ordinary, unimpressive people. We gather in a school cafeteria and, uh, and, and I mean, wearing ordinary clothes and having ordinary conversations. But so much more goes on as we gather together. Uh, first, what we just got to participate in, as Chris led us in prayer, we get to speak to God. And uh, we do that together. Uh, that prayer is, is, is our corporate voice as we make our requests known to God, as we give thanks to God for what he's done. Thank Chris, thank you for leading us in that. But we also gather to hear from God. And that's actually really primarily what we gather here to do. And in order to hear from God, there's a conviction that we have as we gather. And that's this, that as we gather, God speaks. We can't gather to hear if no one is speaking. But as we gather to listen, God is the one that speaks to us. And he speaks to us through his word, through the Bible, through the pages of this book. And in these pages, we have all that we need for, for this life. And so we look to him and we listen to him. So that's what we're here together to do. So if you're there in Proverbs 17, we're going to be giving our attention to verses 7 through 28. And as we begin, I'm going to read this and then we're going to pray once more. This is the word of God. Proverbs 17, verse 7. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. Still less is false speech to a prince. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs, rather than a fool in his folly. Verse 13, if anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. Verse 20, a man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. Verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, 
and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word together this morning to hear from you, to hear you speak. And would you open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we may love you and the things that you have said to us. We need your help this morning. Thank you for helping us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, there's a lot in this text this morning, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, approach it under the broad heading on fools and foolishness. On fools and foolishness. And we're going to make our way through the text, giving our attention to this text, uh, as I ask three questions of the text. Uh, but by way of introduction, there's one verse that I want to focus in on. And I want to preface that by, by talking a little bit about my experience running on trails. I've spent many hours of my life running on trails, whether it be the Appalachian Trail or the Frederick Watershed or the CNO Canal Towpath or Monoxy National Battlefield or just up the road at Little Bennett Regional Park. Many hours have been spent, I've spent on these trails. Now, you would not be surprised to hear that the most typical wildlife that I encounter are deers and squirrels. Deer and squirrel, I guess not deers, deer and squirrels. Uh, even actually, it wasn't even a trail run, but even this past week on one of my runs, twice I came upon, it was in the dark, it was in the morning, and about like, I don't know, 200 yards out, I see six little beady eyes. And there's a bunch of deer right there. That didn't give me pause, I kept going. Uh, sometimes squirrels will startle you a little bit because you'll hear this rustling in the leaves and you're like, but it's okay. They're, they're startling, but never threatening. Occasionally, I'll come across a snake. But the most hair-raising wildlife encounter I've had on a trail run was with a wild turkey that jumped out. I was going down the trail. This is at uh, Monoxy National Battlefield, going down a trail, and there was a little dip. And like I was like five feet from that dip, and out jumps a wild turkey. And that thing is huge. So wings spread. I mean, it freaked me out. The one thing that I've yet to see on a run or a hike is a bear. Haven't come across a bear. But that doesn't mean that I don't often think about the possibility of coming across a bear. Actually, I would say pretty much every time that I run, especially if it's by myself, I'm alert to the possibility of coming across a bear. Uh, it's typical that in the late spring and early summer, news stories will come out about bear encounters. This past May, in Frederick City, near Hood College, a black bear was roaming through the neighborhoods. Uh, it climbed up a tree, and they ended up tranquilizing it, shooting it, and it fell 40 feet down, and they caught it in a tarp. <laughs> but the thing that I was most interested to find out about was, like, what did they do with this bear after that? And not to my surprise, but certainly to my disappointment, they released the bear just north of Frederick City in the Frederick Watershed, which I occasionally run in. So yes, I do think about bear encounters, which has led me to not only pray that the Lord would protect me on the trails, but also to research how to avoid poten the potential of coming across an aggressive bear and what to do if it happens. One of the first recommendations is often go where the bears are not. 
Oh, brilliant. Yeah, just don't go where the bears are. Bears should be avoided. Why should bears be avoided? Uh, because they're strong and they can be dangerous. Uh, when I go running or hiking with my family, I want to avoid bears. Wisdom says, avoid the bears. But Proverbs tells us that there is a danger greater than a bear out there. A danger worse than coming between a mama bear and her cubs. And that danger is meeting a fool in his folly. It's to come across a foolish person doing foolish things. This is the picture in, in verse 12 of chapter 17, and it's, it's vivid and shocking. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Solomon tells us that you're better off coming across that angry she-bear who is stronger than you, faster than you, and can kill you with one swipe of its paw. Better off coming across that bear than meeting a fool in his folly. As I was preparing the sermon, I mean, I had to Google bear encounters or bear trail running or whatever it was. And just a few weeks ago in California, this girl's out running on a trail and comes across a grizzly bear and her cubs. And of course, she has to pull out her phone and record the whole thing. But she did, and it, I mean, it's all over the news everywhere. Better to come across that bear in that situation than meeting a fool in his folly. Consider that. Is that something that you pray that the Lord would protect you from? I'll, I will, I have prayed that the Lord would protect me as I go on a trail run in some, on some dark trail by myself. Lord, help there not to be any bears out here. But very rarely will I pray that the Lord will keep me from the danger of a fool and his folly. The next question that, that we should be asking ourselves is how do we know when we come across this fool in his folly? How do we know what this fool looks like? I know what a bear looks like. I know what to look out for there. But what does this fool look like? And this is where the wisdom of God wants to shine a light this morning. So I mentioned three questions. The first question is going to be this. What does a fool look like? What does a fool look like? If we're to avoid the fool in his folly, then we must know what this fool looks like. We must be able to identify him. And our text, I think, gives us two marks of a fool. The first mark of a fool is a fool loves himself. A fool loves himself. Now, when I was a kid, we would occasionally watch reruns of the mid-20th century sitcom, Leave it to Beaver. Uh, the main family is the Cleavers, and they had two boys, Wally and Beaver. And they lived next door to a young man named Eddie Haskell. Now, Eddie was what you would call two-faced. Uh, Eddie was the typical troublemaker, often up to no good, scheming and pranking all the time. He was clearly a fool. But around parents, Mr. Cleaver described Eddie as so polite, it's almost un-American. Uh, he would often be heard flattering Mrs. Cleaver. He would say things like, gee, that's a lovely dress you're wearing, Mrs. Cleaver. He was known for his fine speech. Certainly he was known for his fine speech, but for the viewers of the show, it was always clear that it wasn't sincere because Eddie was a fool. And when I read verse 7 of Proverbs 17, I think of Eddie. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. But there's a situation that's worse, a type of fool that is more dangerous than that fool. And verse 7 tells us that it's a lying prince. 
the false speech of a prince. What kind of behavior might mark this lying prince? We see it in his complete lack of a commitment to justice, in his disregard of doing right. He's only ever self-serving. He's about himself. So verse 8 describes his mindset. And this is his mindset. Whoever, I mean, a bribe is like a magic stone. It's this charm that always comes through, that always gets what you want. It's a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. This is what the fool has convinced himself of, that a bribe will always get him what he wants. Bribery and the love of money that accompanies it is the root of all kinds of evil in Scripture and throughout human history. It was bribery that was at the center of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. But the fool is convinced that a bribe is like a magic stone. And by using this bribe or receiving this bribe, I'm always going to get what I want. Who has time for doing what's right when you can get what you want through bribes? Sometimes that means you bribe others, and other times it means that you're willing to be bribed. We see this later in verse 23. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Justice for the fool is something that exists to be bent, to be manipulated for personal gain. And examples of this mindset, uh, they, they flood pop culture and they masquerade as the wisdom needed for success. I'd never heard of this book, but I was talking to somebody recently who was reading it, and it's called 48 Laws of Power. It came out in 1998, and it's been a New York Times bestseller for, for a long time. And it sold over a million copies. And I started looking through these 48 Laws of Power, and it's all about these are the things that you can do to have power over other people. And it's like, like reads like the anti-Proverbs. But this is the wisdom of the world. Justice doesn't mean much. It's, it's only a means of using to get what I want. The fool is not concerned with righteousness, with doing what's right. Verse 26 tells us that uh, to impose a fine on a righteous man and to strike the noble for their up- uprightness is something that the fool is always willing to do. The fool doesn't care about right and wrong, but only about himself. He does not control his desires. He does not control his tongue. But I find it interesting that in verse 28, we've, we see that if that fool did control his tongue, even he could look wise. Look at what verse 28 says. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. We see here that self-control is one of the keys to wisdom, and a lack of self-control is one of the evidences of folly. The fool has no self-control. They are only driven by a love of themselves. So that's the first mark that we see here. The fool loves himself. Second mark is the fool loves conflict. The fool loves conflict. He loves relational turmoil. He loves drama. We see this first in verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Now, to, to cover an offense does not mean to cover up something, like a sinful hiding of sin. I don't want anyone to know about this. So I'm not going to say anything to anyone. That's not love. 
To cover an offense and seek love means that you are committed to keeping an offense as private as it should be, but still dealing with the offense. So as private as it should be, but still dealing with the offense. But the fool repeats the matter and brings separation and division among close friends. The fool is a gossip and they pit people against one another and always make matters far worse. And we've all come across these people. Perhaps some of us have been this person. Verse 11 tells us that this is a man who, who seeks only rebellion. In verse 13, they are those who return evil for good. Verse 14 gives us this picture of the beginning of their action. And there's this recognition that evil is always lurking in our relationships. Sin is always right there. It's like water that's being held back by a dam. And verse 14 says that the beginning of strife is like letting out the water. When that water begins to flow, when that dam is breached, there is no telling what kind of damage will be done, what kind of flooding will take place, what kind of consequences there will be. But the fool doesn't care. Well, that's not exactly right. They don't care about the consequences. They do care about the action. They love the action. Verse 19 tells us that whoever loves transgression loves strife. Again, the fool is, he's about the turmoil, the drama, the strife, the conflict. And they look for it wherever they can find it. They look for it on Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter, as they say these days. They look for it with their neighbors and their families. They look for it at their workplace or on their kids' sports teams. They're always looking for drama, always stirring the pot. And if you are around long enough and interact with enough people, you're going to come across these people. Verse 24 says that the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth, going to and fro, just looking for drama, conflict to be part of. What a picture this is. What a sad picture. They aren't focused on the good, the true, and the beautiful. They don't care about peace or justice. But contrast that with the wise, the discerning who has set his face toward wisdom. That's what verse 24 tells us. He's set his face toward wisdom. His gaze is fixed. He knows what's right, so he looks towards it. He knows what is good, so he thinks on it. When someone offends him, he doesn't tell others about it. He doesn't sow division. As verse 9 says, he covers an offense and seeks love. When someone rebukes him, he takes it to heart and humbles himself and responds in grace and humility. As verse 10 says, the rebuke goes deep into him, deeper than a hundred blows into a fool. When he sees that strife is brewing, that conflict is coming, as verse 14 tells us, he quits before the quarrel breaks out. He walks away. But when conflict does come, when there is strife, he is, as verse 17 says, a friend who loves at all times, a brother born for adversity. He stays committed and faithful, loyal in the midst of trouble. He's known by what he doesn't say, just as he is known for what he does say. He's the man of verse 27 who restrains his words and has a cool spirit. He is a man of self-control committed to peace and the good of those around him. 
And he knows what is good and true and beautiful because he has made the word of God his meditation and his delight. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. His eyes are fixed. He set his face toward wisdom. May that be true of us. Now we know this portrait in contrast to the portrait that Proverbs 17 gives us of the fool. And God wants both portraits to shape our imagination. God wants us to see the juxtaposition and differences of these two pictures. But in this chapter, the particular concern is the fool and his folly. The fool in his folly. So we've looked at, we've considered these marks of a fool. What does a fool look like? Second question, who do fools put in danger? Who do fools put in danger? To put it simply, fools are dangerous to everyone. They're a danger to everyone. But our text gives us some more specificity than that. And in being more specific, Proverbs 17 acts as, as this warning to us. Not only to look out, look out for the fool, but also to walk in this path of wisdom. So who do fools put in danger? First, fools are a danger to those closest to them. Fools are a danger to those closest to them. We already saw this in verse 9 where the gossip of the fool is one that separates close friends. You don't want to be friends with a gossip. We also see this more acutely in verses 21 and 25. And here Proverbs talks about the grief that a fool brings to their parents. So in verse 21 it says, He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. 25, a foolish son is grief is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. A fool is one who robs their parents of joy. They crush the spirit of their parents. And so if you're sitting here and if you're aware that you've been a fool, be sobered by the sorrow that you have brought to your parents. That's a part of my story. That, I was once there. And if you're a parent, be encouraged not to grow weary in teaching your children to walk in the way of wisdom. Be attentive as a parent to the actions and the affections of your children. Pay attention to what they say and what they do and what they love and how that reveals what's in their hearts. The Bible, it warns us over and over again of the danger and the tragedy of poor and inattentive parenting. Have you ever thought about that? There are a lot of terrible parents in the Bible. Think, like, I mean, just think about, think about how many good parents you can think of in the Bible. That's a, kind of a hard list to come up with. But when you start thinking about terrible parents, that's actually a lot easier to come up with. There are many more parents who raise fools in the Bible than raise those who walk in wisdom. More fathers like Eli than mothers like Eunice. Eunice was the, the mother of Timothy who faithfully taught him the Christian faith. Paul talks about her in uh, 2 Timothy 1. Eli was the priest at Shiloh, and his two sons grew up also to be priests. Seems like he's doing pretty good. Hophni and Phinehas. So if you're looking for any baby names, two you probably don't want to consider. Hophni and Phinehas. Everything seemed pretty good, right? As we meet these guys in 1 Samuel 1. They're all priests, a family of priests. How noble is that? 
But first, Samuel 2 tells us that these sons were worthless men. That's the language it uses, worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They're fools. And then we read examples of their treachery. They would steal from the sacrifices and offerings that were brought. They would threaten the people that would bring these offerings. And they would sleep with the women who showed up there. Worthless men. When Eli heard about all that his sons were doing, he rebuked them. But like Proverbs 17.10 warned us, it had no effect. And because of Eli's poor and inattentive parenting, judgment was brought on the whole house of Eli. And all three of them died on the same day. Now Eli is just one example of a father in the Bible who sired fools and reaped the grief and the sorrow and the danger that comes from it. We could also consider people like Jacob or Samuel or David or Solomon, all the father of fools. Fools prove to be a great danger to those closest to them. And Proverbs 17 drives that point home. Fools are not only a danger to those closest to them, second, fools are a great danger to themselves. Fools are a great danger to themselves. Now we see this as a thread running through our entire text. Consider verse 11. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Now this cruel messenger may come in this life, and it's rare to see an evil man prosper and live a long life. Their lives tend to be cut short. Uh, We can see this throughout human history. We can see it just in the 20th century, 21st century, Uh, We may put Hitler and Osama bin Laden in this category. Even this past Tuesday, one of the leaders of Hamas was killed, and he was said to be one of the most wanted men in the Middle East. He was killed by a drone strike. And as news stories came out about his death, they reported the fact that he himself had long expected to be killed. Just this past August, he said to a, a news organization, I've already lived more than expected. I feel I passed the age I was supposed to die. A cruel messenger came upon him. As sure as the sun will rise, a cruel messenger is sent against those evil men who only seek rebellion. Verse 20 speaks more specifically to why the fool is a danger to themselves. It's a result of what they love and what they say. Look at verse 20. A man of crooked heart does not discover good. And one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. Here we see that the sin that marks the fool isn't limited to how they treat others, but extends to their their own emotions and their words. Their folly is, is in their heart and in their mouth, and it has a sure direction. No good and no peace. The path of the fool leads only to calamity. It leads it's a path that leads to to the avalanche coming down the side of the mountain and crushing them. The path of the fool leads to the bridge crossing the chasm that will collapse the moment it's stepped on. And because of the fool's actions, desires, and words, because because of the wickedness of them, they are opposed by the Lord. As verse 15 says, they are an abomination. And this is how we know the end for the fool, because ultimately, it's God who stands against them. He is the just judge who will condemn the wicked. So I hope as we've made our way through Proverbs 17 so far, we have a better picture of this fool. 
and a better awareness of, oh wow, they are really a danger to those around them and to themselves. That brings us to our third question. What does this all mean for us today? What does this all mean for us today? As we encounter the world of Proverbs with its, its pictures and its metaphors, its wisdom and its warning, its magic stones and its bears, it can seem a little detached from us today. Maybe kind of like archaic and less relevant. It might not feel like it connects so much with like me this week. But God, through his word, he intends to shape how we view the world through his word. And we want to labor to see the world through the Bible's eyes, not see the Bible through the world's eyes. All right? That's what we want to do as a people, as Christians. We want to see the world through the Bible's eyes, not see the Bible through the world's eyes. The same wisdom that speaks in Proverbs is the same wisdom that we encounter in the rest of Scripture. Sometimes it comes to us in, God's wisdom comes to us in laws. Sometimes, oftentimes, it comes to us in stories. Sometimes it comes in just direct commands. And in the New Testament, we often see God's wisdom given to us through letters to the church, through teaching. Listen to what Paul calls Christians to in Romans 12, 14 through 21. And, and listen for the echoes of Proverbs 17 in this text. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Paul writes this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We see, we hear echoes of the wisdom of Proverbs in this text. So, what does this mean for us today? How should we live today? I think Romans 12 gives us helpful guidelines. First, we should, we should look to bless others, be a blessing to those around us. So that means in, in, our, in our words, what we say, we want to speak life to those around us. We're called to live in harmony with one another, seeking peace with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our children, with our parents, with our brothers and sisters. We want to be humble. And as we heard last week, we, we show no partiality. So instead, we are, we are humble, not wise in our own eyes doing what is honorable and right and good. And when we are wronged, we know that it's all in the Lord's hands. And so we trust him. We trust him to bring justice where there's been injustice. And ultimately, as verse 21 says, we aren't overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. That's what we're called to. 
And Proverbs is all about this wisdom, about walking in wisdom, about living according to God's good order, about God's intention for his people, that they live in this certain way, that they walk this way and not the way of the fool, that they walk in his light, not in their own blindness. And so God speaks to us, he comes to us in our darkness, in our blindness, and he speaks so that we might see and we might walk. So we are those who listen and obey. That's the first thing, walk in wisdom. What does this mean for us today? Walk in wisdom. Stay out of the path of the fool. But if we are going to be honest with ourselves and with one another, and if we are to take God at his word, then we must recognize that none of us is righteous. No, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. Which leads us to the second thing for us this morning. That's this. Jesus meets us in our folly. Jesus meets us in our folly. So as we make our way through Proverbs 17 and we see this, this picture of the fool, it's like, ooh, I've, I've kind of acted that way before. I've done that sometimes. We are all fools. Ephesians 2 describes us as all dead in our sin. But Jesus comes to us in our folly. One theologian says it this way, Jesus meets fools in their folly to save fools from their folly. And so by looking to Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, we can find life in his name. When we look at Proverbs 17, we see verse 15 here. It says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. But what does the gospel do for us? We are numbered among the wicked. We are those sinners. Yet we can receive justification. That's an abomination to the Lord. How can that be? There was only one who was righteous. That was Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He was condemned. That's an abomination to the Lord. How can that be? How can that be? It's all the mercy and grace of God. Because in our hopeless state, what we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, to live this life of perfect obedience that we could not live, and then to be condemned as a sinner, can be condemned as one who was wicked. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a hope we have in Jesus, the one who has come for us, the one who has given himself for us, the one who has walked this path on our behalf. And now, by repenting of our sins, by turning to him in faith, we have forgiveness of our sins, redemption by his blood, Amen. new life, eternal life, eternal hope in him. And so as we look to Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs, the first thing we always need to keep at the forefront of our minds is Jesus embodied all of this, all of this righteousness. And by turning to him, God counts that righteousness to us. By repenting of our sins and turning to him in faith, that righteousness is, is ours. And so now, 
We receive new life in Jesus, clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now what do we do? We walk in that righteousness. We live as who we are, as those clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that's why we obey. That's why we walk in wisdom. And then on top of that, God sees fit to make his path a path of blessing. His invitation is to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke, take my yoke upon you. And he says that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So brothers and sisters, let us look to Jesus. Let us enjoy the life we have in Jesus. Let us walk in the righteousness that he has won for us. And let us enjoy this life together that we have. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for speaking to us, speaking to us wisdom and righteousness, speaking to us that which is good and true and beautiful. Not only speaking these things, but, but giving us this path to walk in that is good and leads to flourishing and blessing. And though we might be dismayed by circumstances we face, though we might face discouragement at points, thank you that we have an imperishable, unfading, and undefiled hope in your resurrection life. So it's in you we trust and to you we look. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.